Well, uh, if you've been with us for a while, uh, you know one thing about James. James is rough, all right? If you were just listening to that, to that message uh, that Crystal read so eloquently for us, it's, man, James is in your face. He is like a drill sergeant. Uh, just uh, kind of barking orders one after another. And I've decided that after uh, James, we're going to have to go over the, you know, the through the spirit of gentleness or something just to kind of compensate for some of the tone that we have been receiving from James. And the more, and, but uh, I make light of that, but the more I've thought about it is, you know what, everything that the Lord gives us through his word is gentle in a sense. So yeah, these are, these are harsh words, but can you imagine a God that every time we got out of line smacked us back in order? Man, that's a scary God. And instead, what does, how, does the word, how does the word of God convict our hearts? It speaks to us. We read it, we meditate on it, and then the spirit of God gently corrects us and says, hey, this is the way that I want you to go. Even if the words are in your face, they are gentle in their delivery, that you, the people of God, get to read these with a cup of coffee early in the morning or late at night and say, Lord, convict my heart. He is not a God that is constantly smacking us around. He's a God that says, as you commune with me, I'm going to speak directly to you and show you the way that leads to life, life which is truly life. So even in the harsh words of James where he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you, we can say, okay, Lord, I'm receiving. I'm receiving this with gentleness. I'm waking up a little bit by the urgency of your tone, but I receive your instruction with gentleness. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what is James What's James' deal here? What's his problem with, uh, with rich people that he is trying to, uh, trying to articulate? And this is not James' personal frustration with the rich. Almost every single quote in these 12, almost every single word in these 12 verses is a quote from the Old Testament. He is being extraordinarily biblical in, in, in these 12 verses. We say, Cody, well, of course he's being biblical. It's the Bible, you know, like uh, uh, that kind of get this part for the course right there. But no, he's almost quoting everything from the Old Testament. He's quoting the prophets. He, he's, pro, he's quoting the, the Proverbs. He's quoting uh, the, the biblical idea of what it means to to uh, honor our time, to use our time for the glory of God and for the good of others, to, to, to use our money for the glory of God and for the good of others, and how uh, God sees the rich throughout all of the Old Testament. And so again, verse 1, I'm just going to read it. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And this morning, we have three questions that this, this uh, passage is trying to um, get us to deal with. Number one, why is he being so hard on the rich? Number two, what miseries are coming to the rich? And number three, what does this have to do with us in this room? Because I, I know something about us as Americans, and uh, there is a spirit of comparison uh, in our hearts, right? So whenever we hear this passage, we are so quick to justify, well, this doesn't actually apply to me. Right, we do this. So uh, I was like, well, I'm, I, I'm not the rich that he's probably talking about because I know someone that has uh, a, a higher um, numbers in their bank account than I do. Or we, we, we constantly do that. But 
I, I want us to really dive in and, and really consider who is this speaking to and how is this convicting your own hearts today? Because I think this is a passage that's going to deal with all of our hearts differently today. All right? So why is he being so hard on the rich? Well, like I said, he's being biblical here. And what we see throughout all of the Old Testament is God is drawing out for himself a people that he is calling by his name. He says, you are my people. You belong to me. We just went through the book of Exodus. If you're with us at the beginning of the year, in the book of Exodus, what did we see? We saw the people, the children of Abraham went into the land of Egypt because of a famine. And God blessed them. He made them fruitful and they multiplied in that land and then they were subdued into slavery. And then from that slavery, He says, I'm going to bring you out of this slavery, and I'm going to make you into your very own nation. You will, the laws of my, uh, the laws of of who I am as God will be the governing uh, ordinances of your nation. And And what's so amazing about this is he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, and everything that I teach you will attract the nations and say there's something different about these people. They are wise. They are gentle. They are, they are not like the nations of, of the world. And one of the ways that he did that was he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going, it was an agrarian society, so he, he was saying, I'm going, to make your, um, I'm going to make your grain bountiful. I'm going to make your fruits bountiful. I'm going to make your harvests bountiful. I'm going to fill you up with um, grain and wine. and all, I'm going to hook you guys up, and I want you to also take care of the poor. We see this all throughout the first five books of the Bible, and we see this all throughout the Proverbs and, uh, and the prophets. One of the things that he said in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, whenever he was establishing the people of Israel for, um, for himself, is he says this, verse 9, he says uh, of Leviticus 19. We're probably going to do a, a a series over Leviticus here soon. So this is just a little uh, snippet. And he's like, when's the last time I read Leviticus, okay? Hey, let me, let me share with you some of the gold that is actually found in it. It says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. You know what it's saying? It's saying whenever you mow, or whenever you plow your fields and whenever you plant your vineyards and you plant everything that you do, don't, don't glean all the way out to the edges. You want to know why? Because that's for the poor. Because not everyone in your society is going to have as bountiful as a harvest as, your, as yours. So whenever you, are, whenever you are blessed by the Lord, by the rains in, in, in your harvest, in your crops, don't pick all the way out to the edges. That way the poor, whenever they walk by the edge of your field, they have something to grow. And they have something for themselves to make food for themselves. And so he was right in the, uh, right in the, the, the centerpiece of who they were as a nation. God was saying, I care for the poor. Why? Because you were slaves. You were poor. You had nothing. And I pulled you out and I made you into a great nation. And so this nation is going to reflect how I view you. How I view you, you need to view other people in the same way that I look at you. And that's not all. In Deuteronomy chapter 14 and Deuteronomy chapter 26, he says, whenever you make sacrifices to the Lord, some of the thing, they, they would sacrifice some things to the Lord, and then they would take home some of the produce. And he says, don't just have this holy barbecue for just you and your family. It says, invite the sojourner. 
Invite the Levite that has no inheritance, who has no inheritance. Invite the priest. Invite the fatherless. Invite the widows from your towns. And whenever you make a sacrifice to the Lord, throw a big party and invite those that can't take care of themselves. This was built into not only their civil government, but also into their acts of worship. And in Leviticus chapter 25, this is wild. This is wild. It says, um, which one of the things that you need to do on the year of Jubilee is you need to give back all the land that you bought from your poor neighbors. So some people couldn't, um, couldn't survive and, uh, in this agrarian society. Their crops failed. They weren't as good as the farmers. And so what happened was um, uh, they sold their, sold their property, they sold their land that was given to them by God. God made that very clear. And in every 50 years, that land had to go back had to go back to the original landowner's family. Said, hey, uh, I know you bought this from, I know you bought this from your neighbor, but I'm going to be generous and I want you to be generous as well. And so every 50 years, give back the land that you have helped cultivate and grow because of your, your wisdom that God has given you. Give it back to the people um, that, you, uh, that you were able to buy it from in the beginning. Isn't that amazing? Just a generous society. It was almost a, a utopia that God was setting up in the first five books of the Bible. And in Deuteronomy 14, I, I mentioned this earlier, it said that every three years, you know what they were supposed to do? And the people of Israel, they're supposed to take 10% of everything that they had, their seed, their wine, their fruits, everything that they grew, their money, and they're supposed to lay it up, lay it up in the middle of the town. And it was for the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widows in your town so that they could have something for themselves, so that they can grab the seeds, and the seeds to be able to grow in their own fields themselves. And they were just supposed to do this liberally, benevolently. And this was the society that God was, that God was setting up. And he was trying to do this to show us, you were poor, you were broken, you had nothing, and I went after you. I pursued you. I bought you in the same way. I am your God. And I want you to look just like me. I want you to look just like me. I want your society to look just like me. I care for you while you were poor. You care for the poor um, in your midst. That's what God is really uh, calling, calling us to. And what we see in James is James is, James is pointing out something about money. Money has this strange power over us, does it not? It's like the dark side of the force. It produces self-love and arrogance. Money was supposed to be used to bless and serve other people. But whenever we get it, something dark happens in our own, own heart. And we say, I, I want to use this for me, for my glory, for my kingdom, to build up a name for myself and not to bless God and to bless other people around me. And so by the time uh, the Proverbs comes around and King Solomon, uh, they, they, uh, the people of God were, had very clearly had these, um, this archetype of a society that they were supposed to abide by and live by. And what happened was they, were, they didn't live up to it. They didn't give back the land in the year of Jubilee. They kept it for themselves. And in Proverbs, the, the, the word rich was almost synonymous with someone that did not obey and someone that was greedy with what they had. And by the time it got to the Proverbs, uh, or, or not the Proverbs, but the prophets, the prophets were angry at the way that the people of God had not obeyed the commandments of God of how they were supposed to set up their society. And the prophets railed 
railed against the people. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9 through 12 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow. Do not oppress the fatherless. Do not oppress the sojourner or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against one another in their own heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear what the word of the Lord declared. They made their hearts diamond hard. Diamond hard. And the prophets, the prophets said, you know what? Judgment is coming. And it's because you didn't care about the things that God cared about. We once were poor. We once were, were enslaved. And so we have to care those that, for those that are poor around us. Jesus says the exact same thing. He says that no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Paul said this, um, most of us know this passage. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of different evils. The love of money, the love of money. All throughout the prophets, it uses this scary language that whenever God comes back and he sees the way, sees the way we have neglected the poor, the people of God, sees the way that we have neglected those that are um, fatherless and widowed, it says he's going to come back and he's going to come back with a very strong arm. A very strong arm. You say, Cody, well, who, who exactly is this talking about? Is this talking to us? Well, let me kind of give it a handle, a one-to-one handle of what, obviously, the people of God, the Israelites are a little bit different than who we are as the church, but the principle is the same, and this is the principle. If we saw someone in our congregation who's a member of Redeemer Church that was struggling, that was poor, that needed our help, and we turned a blind eye to them, this is who this is talking about. The judgment that all the prophets in, in the Proverbs are talking about, if, we, if our heart was diamond hard to those that are part of this gospel-centered, disciple-making family, then these judgments are really against us, against us, if we didn't care about the people that belong to this family. So James says, says weep for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten, and your Garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. Be evidence against you. How we feel? Are we comfortable? Are we feel good about this? Um, evidence against you. This is what, what's crazy about this. Is it's giving a, a kind of a, James is giving us a picture of a courtroom, right? Um, it's kind of like most of us have seen Judge Judy at one point or another, not by like purposefully, it just kind of seeps into her life somehow. I don't really know how that, that happens. My, my son uh, loves to watch uh, uh, Dude Perfect, and they have a little bit called Judge Duty, and uh, he cracks up every time that, that, that little bit comes up, but it's basically, the same, it's basically the same thing. Whenever the prosecutor comes across, this is what James is saying. The prosecutor comes across and it says, exhibit A of all the evidence that is piled up against you are the things that you have pursued. Your gold, your silver, your stuff. And that is not okay. And God is saying that this is going to be evidence against you in the cosmic throne of his justice. Why? Because you pursued that and it was worth, worthless. You didn't pursue the one thing that would last, which is Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. All this other stuff is garbage if we make it an ultimate thing. 
If we, if we don't use it the way that God intended for us to use our resources to bless other people around us. That's what money was supposed to be for at the very beginning. I'm giving you money. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of you so that you can take care of other people. That you can be part of the body of Christ. Not, not uh, pursuing vanity and the things that the world is pursuing. So James's cry is saying, don't waste your life trying to reach these different financial goals and like, oh, by the time I'm 30, I want to be here. And by the time I'm 40, I want to be here. And I want to retire by the time I'm 48 and have this big of a nest egg or or, or whatever it is. He's really calling us to not hoard our wealth. Hoard our wealth. Because here's the thing. Am I being cutty? Like, you're making me really uncomfortable. Are you saying Dave Ramsey has, like, led us astray, like, for, for a really long time? Like, don't save anything. Like, don't, like, no, that's not what I'm saying. The Bible is not anti-saving. The Bible is not anti-planning. The Bible is anti-hoarding. Making your money about you, about your kingdom, your purposes, your glory. Uh, and where all, the only time that you give, it makes your name great. Makes your name great. He's like, no, no. This is supposed to be about the Lord. It's supposed to be about the Lord's people. God gave us money to bless people. And the problem with our money is us. The problem with our money is our own hearts, right? There's something that happens within our hearts where it says, you know what, I love this thing. And this gives me this sense of power over people that makes me feel good. Or this gives me this sense of security that if things go wrong, at least my bank account is okay. And and all these things, our our sense of worth and our sense of security are supposed to be found in Christ, not our bank account, not our 401k. It's supposed to be found in Christ. And what happens whenever we love money, we love people less. Because our money was supposed to be used to bless people, right? And whenever we feel like it's our sense of security, we feel like it's our sense of comfort or whatever, then we don't love people. We don't liberally give it to, to those around us that are, that are hurting, um, that have a feel that didn't, that didn't make it that year, okay? And so God is saying, this is the last days. We are in the last days. You have laid up treasure in the last day, verse 3. The end of verse 3 says. And this is it. Uh, James is saying, hey, we're in the end game now. Uh, I don't typically do this. But if you've seen the Marvel, Marvel movies, Endgame, uh, remember Doctor Strange, who was kind of like in tr- control. I know I'm only talk- preaching to like a couple of nerds in here. So, <laughs> sorry. so sorry. I'm right there with you. All right. Doctor Strange was in charge of time or something like that. Something crazy. And he looks to Iron Man and he says, we're in the Endgame now. We're, we're in the last. This whole thing is almost over. And that's what James is calling us to. He says, look, we're in the Endgame. Uh, time, time is almost done. Why are we hoarding our wealth? Why aren't we li- using our money to bless and to serve other people? It, it, it's the last days. It's the last days. Uh, you say, well, Cody, what does that mean? Well, this literally means this is the last days in the eschatological calendar. You say, Cody, what does that mean? <laughs> you say, well, God, uh, God uh, chose uh, sovereignly uh, before the foundations were laid to build and create everything, and then uh, humanity fell into brokenness, and then he sent Jesus to restore all things. And whenever he sent Jesus, the prophets talk about sending Jesus in, t- uh, in two different ways, sending the Messiah in two different ways. The first, uh, that all the disciples saw it, 
he was going to come as was a conquering king. Right? He was going to come and he was going to conquer everything and he was going to take control and he was going to banish all the wickedness in the world. But the, the prophets also, uh, especially Isaiah 53, uh, mentioned this Messiah being a suffering servant as well, who, who came gentle and lowly, who didn't even break uh, a reed. He came so gently. And what we see um, is the first time that Jesus came uh, in history is he came gently and then he's going to come again. And this time, there will be no gentleness about him. He will say, this is the end game. This is the last days. Whenever I come, this will be the end of all um, history for this earth as we presently know it. And because of that, guess what? I'm going to come in power, and everything that is wrong, I'm going to make right. I'm going to make right with a strong arm. And it's going to be scary. And it's going to be scary for some but it's going to be very, very serious nonetheless. And this is whenever James starts to, to talk about, because you're in the end game, don't neglect people around you. And he starts giving all these examples about those that are working your field and, and look at the prophets and all this. And he's saying, money is about serving other people. Don't hoard up and store up your wealth. Give it generously to those that are around you, that those that are working for you. That's what it says. Remember that, uh, uh, I think it was Voltaire quote that uh, talks about a French princess who some, uh, one, of his, one of her uh, uh, servants came to him and said, hey, princess, things are going really bad out there. Uh, the people have no bread. And do you remember her reply? Have no bread? Well, let them eat cake. And he said, well, that was uh, messed up for two, either two reasons. Some people think that uh, she was just so disconnected with the suffering of the world that she was living in luxury and she heard, oh, the people are out of bread. Well, give them a donut hole. Like, and, and no big deal. Like, it doesn't even, doesn't matter. Like, you know, bread isn't even that good. We have all these pastries over here. She might have been disconnected there. Or some, some people I, I saw uh, thought it meant this. Or like, let them scrape out the cake in the ovens and eat the, the burnt crust. If, if they're really struggling that bad. And really, either way, either way, it, it tells us the exact same thing, that this was a person that lived in luxury and didn't care about other people around her. Uh, this is a person that didn't care about um, the people that were under her care um, in her kingdom. And you say, well, Cody, that was a long time ago, but uh, I was looking at st statistics uh, this week, uh, preparing for this sermon, and I saw... Uh, a couple of principles that were startling that I want to share with you. Um, this was according to some of Barna's studies that they have done that it said that the top 10 wealthiest states in our union don't even crack the top 25 in charitable giving in, in our country. And so the top 10 states that bring in the most GDP, they don't even crack the top 25 as far in insofar as charitable donations. That includes churches and other philanthropic things. A couple of other statistics that I saw said, said this, that um, right now in our nation, according to a 2018 poll, said 20% of the households that give, give 87% of all charitable giving. So it means every, out of one in five of of people that give, the lump sum amount of people that give to 501c3s in our nation, 
they make up 87% of all the donations. And that, that population is getting older and older and older. The article that I read said that there's a coming giving crisis to where the younger generation, the uh, 40 and below, do not give um, as generously and liberally as the older generation did. And there might be a huge decline in giving in the next 20 years to all charitable donations. Uh, another thing that I saw, uh, I'll get off this horse in a, little, in a little bit, but of the states that have the largest percentage of those that make over $200,000 a year, do you know what the average person that makes $200,000 a year gives um, here in America? 1.8% of their income. 1.8. Um, and so I, I think I'm almost tempted to just pause and say, let's just pray and ask God to stir up in our hearts uh, a desire to, to follow biblical principles. But um, before I even go there, I'd like to say that uh, I don't think that applies to this congregation. I know we have some guests with us today, and I'm so thrilled that you're here, but let me um, stop and brag about some of the members here um, of Redeemer Church. This week has been, uh, I, I don't know if y'all just read ahead and James and like, let's just bless Cody, just give a little sermon example this, this week, but I, I've experienced more care and love um, in my entire 32 years of life this week. So thank you. I'm not going to try to steal anyone's treasure from heaven by giving specific examples or anything like that. That's between you and the Lord. But I, uh, I've had so many people be, um, Stephanie and I have just experienced generosity up, um, above generosity above generosity. There's been parties thrown, resources shared, time poured out, meals cooked for us. Um, and let me just say thank you. Thank you. Uh, I am so thrilled to see how the Lord is establishing the value of family at Redeemer Church. And let me just say, I, I'm just overwhelmed and really, really grateful for this congregation, the members here at Redeemer Church, of how they've cared and loved me and my wife and my three kids. Um, I know that you are um, a very giving church, and I am so, so, so thrilled to, and excited for the future. And so that's a shameless plug for if you do not belong to this church family, um, it's a great one. <laughs> and so we, we have Redeemer Basics coming up in a couple of weeks. I encourage you to, to, to jump into that and to say, hey, what, do I, what, it, what does it mean to be uh, meaningfully involved here at Redeemer Church? Because it is an amazing, amazing congregation um, to be a part of. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled. And so with that, let me transition back and say, just because we, uh, this is a generous congregation, uh, let me go back to how we tend to compare often. And it's easy for, it was like, oh, Cody says we're good with the generosity piece, and so let's just kind of punt this sermon until um, we get excited about a new idea or something like that. No, like one of the things that God is calling us to today is to not compare and to really consider what does it look for you to give generously and sacrificially um, to what the Lord is doing around you, and to those that are hurting around you as well? So there's a warning here that God wants us to be serious about how we spend our time 
which really is our most precious resource that we have. Um, time is something that we can never, ever get back. And I think the Lord is calling us um, to very faithfully and generously pour out our time for other people. So I don't know how the, the, the Holy Spirit's going to allow that to land on you, but to consider that. And at the same time, uh, the Lord is never, never bringing up uh, the issue of generosity outside of the idea of our income. What's bringing in needs to be going out to serve those, serve those around us. Remember whenever Jesus was telling a parable about uh, this, rich, this rich man who had plenty. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, it says this. What shall I do? For I, uh, for I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my old barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat drink and be merry. But remember Jesus' parable, verse 20 says this of Luke chapter 12, but God said to him, you fool, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this issue this heart issue is about all of us. What are we putting our treasure in? What are, we, what are we hoping in? Because I promise you, what the Lord is trying to, to show us is he's trying to say, your resources, your time, your energy, your income, it, it com comes from the Lord and it belongs to him. It belongs to him. Everything that you have belongs to him. And he wants to give it to you. He wants to bless you so that you can bless others around you. Um, and so this resource, can it be scary? Yes. Is it a big responsibility? Yes. Dave Ramsey is right about all that stuff. It's not anti-planning. We need to save. It's not evil to give, um, give a nest egg to our kids and to our children's children. I'm, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying it's a very important tool that needs to be used for the glory of God. I, I had coffee with a couple of people uh, this week, just kind of sat down at a men's group uh, that I was in, invited to and just kind of shot the breeze. And the issue of guns came up. And I'm not going to try to make any stance or anything like that here, but uh, there was one guy over here that was kind of anti-guns, and there was, which is kind of weird for North Texas, and, and over here, there was a guy that was very, very pro-guns, like, I got my gun here, you know, like, he'd put it on the table, and uh, at the end of the conversation, he was basically like, well, uh, like, if guns didn't exist, and all this other stuff, and this guy was like, well, we don't, we live here, and guns do exist, so let's not live in a fantasy world, but let's live in uh, where we want good guys to have good tools to use um, for, for good purposes. And, and at the end of it, he goes, again, the anti-gun guy was like, man, I can get on board with that. Like, I want a lot of good guys to have good tools that they can use to protect those, protect those around them. And it's really the same way with money. Money is a tool. It's a tool that needs to be used to protect those and serve those that are around you. Look at verse 8. This is what it says. It says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Use your money as if you're in the end game, as if it's the last minute of the last quarter. Use it for the glory of the Lord. 
Because this is what James is really saying. He's kind of comparing and contrasting the first person that he, uh, group that he's talking to or, or kind of rich uh, people that most likely don't know the Lord because he's talking to people that have been dispersed and Christians and he knew that most of them were poor. And one of the things he's saying, um, saying here is, is this. The coming of the Lord for the rich is going to be a scary thing. But the coming for the Lord for those that um, are using their money for the glory of God and using their money and giving it away um, as if they're in the end game, it's going to be a, a beautiful thing. Uh, the coming of the Lord is used twice in this, in this passage. And it's a Greek word parousia. It's the coming, the coming of the great king. And Jesus was asked in Matthew, he's like, what's, what's the coming of the king going to be like? What's the return of the king going to be like? And Jesus says, well, for some, there's going to be wars and earthquakes and famines and rumors of wars, and it's going to be scary. And James, or Paul, whenever he is asked about the parousia, he goes, it's going to be great. Why? Because we get to see our Lord. We get to see the one that we've been living for. It's going to be amazing. And so it just kind of depends on who you are. Who are you? Are you living for this thing over here, or are you living primarily? Primarily for the Lord. So let's apply all of this, shall we? So what, is, what does this mean for us here in this room? I, I think the number one thing I want to do is just challenge. Challenge this congregation. Generosity for everyone in this room is going to look different. But I promise you, it's going to, you need to uh, assess your heart's generosity with your time and with, um, and with your money. Okay, that is what the Lord is calling us to. And you say you can't say, "Well, I give generously with my money, so therefore I don't have to give with my time." No, these are the resources that the Lord has given us, and this is where we, how we need to assess our generosity. This is how you need to assess your generosity. For us, Stephanie and I, uh, we set governors on what we give to the to the church. We give a certain percentage to our church. We give a certain percentage to those that are doing pioneer church planting to unreached people groups. We're, we're saying we want to be a part of the gospel going to, so, uh, to someone that has little or no access to the gospel. So we give our, resor- we give our resources to that. We also give our resources to other um, Great Commission ministries, people that we know and trust, organizations that we know and trust are faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And I encourage you to do the same, to consider, God, what are my giving goals for this year? What are my giving goals this summer? What, how am I looking for the things that uh, I'm excited about of what the Lord is doing in our midst? And let me say this. Let me say this with generosity. Generosity is always coupled with community. It's always coupled with community, and this is what I mean by that. Typically, it's, um, I've, ta- I've been in church ministry long enough. They're like, Cody, why do you give to the church? Uh, what are they even doing? I, I, I just don't know. And my, typically, my question is always this. It's a very direct one. Well, how involved are you? How involved are you in the congregation? Do you belong to a gospel community? Yes or no? Do you belong to a group that you're accountable to? Yes or no? Are they caring for your soul? And if and the answer to that is yes or no, or like, I don't think they even offer that, or I, I don't know, I haven't made an inquiry about that, you need to consider, you need to consider really what I need to do is I need to get further up and further in and what the Lord is doing in this congregation. 
And then what will come naturally after that is, okay, I belong to these people, and I'm going to give generously to them. I'm going to give generously to what the Lord is doing in, this, in the midst of this congregation. That's typically how the heart works with our generosity, is we get involved, and then the giving flows from that. And you say, well, Cody, well, sell it. Sell it to me. What's Redeemer Church going to get? How are we going to care for the poor? How are we going to, how are we going to look for things in our community that we're going to give to? Well, listen, it goes back to uh, what we call our gospel communities, our small groups here. Um, my vision for the church here at Redeemer is all of our benevolence, uh, giving is going to come from you, the congregation, thinking about and organizing, organizing your gospel communities to say, hey, I think this is a really good thing that we can have a big impact on. And you gather your gospel community and say, yes, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to give. And then let's bring it to the church and say, I think this would be a really healthy thing for us to bless and serve the least of these in our community. And then we say together, because we can do more together than we can by ourselves or individually, we say, yes, together, let's go and fund it. Because this is what the enemy does. Listen, what the enemy does whenever we give as individuals is Jesus warns us, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing whenever you're giving. Why? Because our heart becomes conceited. And our generosity becomes less, listen, listen, our generosity becomes less about the people that we're serving and more about our hearts feeling like we're generous. And what happens whenever you give to the church is the church doesn't rep it does represent you in a certain sense, but it is not you. And we can say together, we want to bless and serve this ministry over here. We want to bless and serve these people over here. We want to bless and serve the poor over here. And we want to do it together. And whenever the recipient of that gift receives it from the church, they say, well, what are you all about? We're about being a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. We make much of Jesus whenever we give together as a church. Amen? We make much of Jesus whenever we give to the poor liberally together. Amen? You on board with that? So let's, let's move towards that together. Let's move towards that together. So my challenge is this. What are your giving goals this year? What are your giving goals this summer? Uh, I have a friend who has an amazing giving goal. He says, I want to have an impact. I want to have an impact on 100 unreached people groups getting the Bible in their language by the time I turn 70. Someone that has never heard the name of Jesus in their heart language, he goes, I want to give everything I have, all my resources to make sure that that mission is accomplished by the time I'm 70 years old. And he's already six in and he's 32 years old. He's already given so much of his resources to help pioneer uh, Bible translations in all in six different languages that have never heard the name of Jesus in their heart language. That's an amazing goal. That's a goal that makes the Lord smile. That's a, that's a goal that whenever Jesus comes back, he wants to find his people doing. He wants to find his people doing. Um, and so the, another story that I have, just to, in way of closing... I had an amazing opportunity to <clears throat> an amazing opportunity to preach at my grandpa's funeral. Um, he was a great man. I loved him. I miss him today. He lived in Archer City. I was excited to be back here, um, but he passed away before we were able to plant um, here uh, in Wichita Falls. And um, I tell you what. 
What was so amazing about being able to preach there is, uh, I don't know why the Lord does this, but here's an older gentleman. And a lot of times, whenever people are older, our our funerals don't have that many people. But uh, at First Baptist Church, Archer City, if you've ever been there, there's three huge sections of pews. It's a very big church. And um, every single pew was packed to the brim. And on this side, and on this side, and in the balcony, and in the back, it was standing room only. You want to know why? Because he gave. He was a generous, generous man. He was not a rich man. But he was a man that gave generously and liberally. And his funeral was packed. And there's a man, there's a gentleman um, by the name of Garnet Jackson who came up to me afterwards. He's my age, actually. Came up to me afterwards after I shared a couple of stories of how impactful my poppy was and how he spoke to me about Jesus on, on a regular basis and how he was kind and generous to me. And he says, you know what? He did the exact same thing to me. He spoke to me about Jesus. He was generous with me. He, he took care of my needs. And man after man after man after that funeral came up and told me a very similar story. Isn't that amazing? My hope for you, whenever I preach your funeral or you preach my funeral, whichever comes first, <laughs> is we have that share, shared story. That we don't have a large bank account. Uh, it, I, it's not evil or bad to leave money to your kids or anything like that. I think it's, I think it's actually wise. But we don't have that big of a bank account, but we have a packed funeral. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for us. And you say, well, Cody, okay, this was just kind of a talk. Where's, where's Jesus in the whole thing? Remember the, here's Jesus. Remember the rich young ruler? Whenever he came up to, to the Lord, what did he say? Uh, what must I do to be saved, right? What must I do to be saved, Lord? And he said, why do you call me good? See, he was testing them right there. Why do, you call, why do you call me good? Don't you know that the Lord is the only one that's good? And he said, well, what do I need to do? And he says, well, you know the commandments. Keep those. He says, I've already done that. And he says, okay, do this. Sell everything. Sell everything that you own. And then come and follow me. And he went away sad because he's a man of great wealth. You know what his disciples said? Who in the world can be saved? He was the best of us. And he says, it's very hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because he loved his stuff. He loved his stuff way more than he loved Jesus. And you say, well, how's that help me? Notice what Jesus was doing in that moment. Jesus was asking him to do something because he knew a rich young ruler too who left everything way richer than this young man. He left heaven in all of its riches, he left everything to come down and to serve the poor, you and I. He left everything from his high position, and he came down to us, and he said, I will pour out myself, and he died poor. He died with nothing, and they even uh, gave away all of his clothes at the end of uh, at his crucifixion. He gave everything for us, so this is who we're living for. It's that God. It's that man. We can, we can give liberally. We can give generously. Why? Because Jesus gave it all for us. And whenever we keep our eyes on him, 
It'll melt our heart. He'll speak gently to us, right? And he'll convict our hearts and he'll transform us and we'll stop caring about the things of this world and we'll only care about him and his righteousness. Let's do that together as a community of faith. Amen? Let's pray.